you are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about Brian De La Cruz and then a crossover with Locked On Nationals, where I talk to Josh Neighbors, the host of the Locked On Nationals podcast, about the dueling young pitchers from Game 2 of that Nationals-Marlins series on Wednesday. It was a ton of fun to watch those two pitchers go. Of course, that's Josiah Gray and the debut of Edward Cabrera, which I get into in depth with Josh. And he talks a little Josiah Gray, myself included. I've really liked Gray for a long time as a prospect. He was really impressive in that start as well. And I know the Marlins are not that fun to watch right now in general. But games like this or games like the one on Wednesday are reasons to look forward to ball games, at least for me. And I know for some fans out there as well, where you get a young pitching matchup. If you're just a baseball fan, you just enjoy that. I, I did. And I know the Marlins are going to see a lot of Josiah Gray over the next five years. Plus, he's going to be a fixture in that Nationals rotation. And I think the Nationals are going to see a lot of Edward Cabrera unless the Marlins pull off some mega deal for Jose Ramirez. As far as I'm concerned... Edward Cabrera is the one guy I'm holding on to a bit more than any of the other pitching prospects right now in the minor leagues. And that's just the way I feel about how he's able to throw. And something I mentioned in the crossover with Josh here is that he really impressed me with his ability to pound the zone. Yes, I'd like to see more swings and misses, but I think he was more focused on just getting ahead of hitters, getting deeper into the ball game, and just establishing his fastball in the strike zone. What I liked from him as well is that he didn't go to the changeup right away. He had a lot of confidence in that slider as well, which is his third pitch. The changeup is his second pitch. It is a 70-grade, nasty, nasty change that looks a lot like Sandy Alcantara's, honestly, but with some more fade to it. Cabrera had success early on without really showing that change up too much, and that's a big sign of a stud pitcher. I saw John Heyman compare the change up to that of Felix Hernandez. I think he said a scout had said that to him, and I don't know exactly how accurate the comp is because Felix Hernandez wasn't throwing 93-mile-an-hour power change-ups, but the movement and just how nasty the pitch is is fairly similar. The one thing I did really like as I go back and watch the perfect game that Felix Hernandez threw or a lot of the complete games that he was able to put together, it's that he would go with different sequences through each time in the order. First time through, he might not even show that change-up. He might just go with the breaking ball and fastball. Second time around, he's going to give you a different look, start showing that change up more. Third time around, he might go to either. And that's what really helps a pitcher in today's game go deeper into ball games. And that's why we don't see a ton of pitchers go deep into ball games because they don't have that third pitch they can truly, truly trust. Think about all of the best pitchers in baseball. They have that. And that's why you're able to give a third look. It's one thing to have a third pitch. It's another thing to have two secondaries off of your fastball that you are comfortable going with either or at any time. And that's something that I think Edward Cabrera is going to get to. I think the changeup will always be the best out pitch, but he showed the confidence to establish that slider early along with the fastball, and that's a really good sign of what's to come, and I think the swings and misses are going to start coming a lot more too. 
as he gains some confidence and starts going after hitters in different ways instead of just pitching to contact a little bit more to make sure that he stays in the ball game and gets ground balls I think he's going to start attacking hitters with a bit more aggression and trying to get him to chase a little bit more as well and I'm looking forward to seeing how he builds off of that first start which was a good one and seeing how he continues to improve speaking of improve Brian De La Cruz has been unbelievable so far since the trade to the Marlins he's hitting 353 since the trade and what I like about De La Cruz is this is when I I cited him as a target for the Marlins. I liked him because one, I was looking for an attainable target for the Marlins to trade for uh, without giving up too much. And De La Cruz was one of the guys that I felt like could be gotten for a reliever. And, and that's what they were able to do by trading Yimmy Garcia. But De La Cruz is a high floor guy as far as I'm concerned. The defense, as we've seen already, is spectacular. He tracks the ball well. He's got a great arm. He's got above average speed. He can play in center field. He's fast enough and takes good routes. He can play in either corner because he has the arm and when it comes to the bat you know he has some holes in his approach a little bit I mean this is his first stint in the big leagues though right he's only played 25 games in the bigs and he is still showing a good feel to hit that being said he's a little bit pull happy he's out and around baseballs at times and when you get a good slider that starts in the middle and you know dives off the plate that's where we're seeing him yank off where it's either a rollover or he swings and misses if he's thinking more middle and thinking more the other way and just adjusting to to the inside pitches because we've seen that he has the bat speed. He has the power to be able to turn around Velo on the inner half. As he continues to iron out that approach, he could be a very solid above average regular with the defense that he offers, with the speed that he offers, and the power potential. There's 20 plus homer power in there, no doubt about it. Sure, he's due for a little bit of regression thanks to the very high BABIP, but he's generally a guy that's going to have the BABIP be pretty high. He's had it in the mid threes, high threes throughout his minor league career and in AAA this past year when he was hitting 324 the BABIP was at around 373 now he's hitting 353 it's at around 475 so I don't think he's due for anything crazy Uh, I think he's going to probably settle in in the 280 290 range uh, by the end of the season which would be a really, really great, great look from him. And I think that when we look at what Brian De La Cruz could be is worst case scenario, high floor option, fourth outfielder. Best case scenario, I think he could be an above average regular. And we're finding that out now down the stretch here. He's obviously going to have a chance to start come next year. And if he struggles, then the Marlins have some other outfield options to look at. Not, not the most explosive and exciting player in the world, but I do think that there's a value there for a 24-year-old who plays good defense can swing it a little bit, has some power, has above average speed. He's just really balanced across the board and a great get for the Marlins no matter how it really works out because if the worst case ends up happening and he is your fourth outfielder, man, he's a hell of a lot better than some of the fourth outfielders the Marlins have had. And frankly, I would take a De La Cruz over Harold Ramirez. While they are similar a little bit in profile, and I know Eli Sussman has pointed this out, which is funny, and it, I wasn't surprised to see Eli already latch on to Brian De La Cruz because of how much Eli loved Harold. But what I like about De La Cruz is that he has that same sort of offensive ability where he may not walk a ton. He's going to hit the ball hard. He's got above average speed. I actually believe in De La Cruz's swing a bit more. I think his swing is more efficient, repeatable, and, and controlled. But that being said, Dilla Cruz also plays defense. That was the big holdup with Harold Ramirez. If he played defense, he's probably still a Marlin. You can't not play good defense in the outfield as somebody that profiles in center and doesn't track the ball well. And that's really what the struggle was with the Marlins and Harold. So Dilla Cruz offers a similar, if not better, offensive profile and also is able to 
play some defense and is a little bit younger. So that is a great outcome out of this. I think he's an upgrade in that regard. And I know Marlins fans were a little upset that Harold had been let go, given that the Marlins had had almost no offensive production for a while from the outfield. But this is an upgrade, whether they knew that this was coming or not, it ends up working out for the better long term. So I'm going to cut to the crossover with Josh Neighbors of Locked On Nationals, where we talk about everything from the pitching duel from Edward Cabrera and Josiah Gray to the state of the two teams, the NL East, and what things are looking like moving forward for both for both ball clubs, excuse me. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Wealthfront. Decades of data show that investors who trade individual stocks underperform the market every single year. In fact, only 1% of day traders beat the market. The odds are not in your favor if you're doing this alone. Team up with Wealthfront instead. Investing can be complicated whether you're a beginner or you've been investing for years, but Wealthfront makes it easy. They have the right tools for every portfolio. They can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every single day. They automatically handle all of the investing based on preferences you control. Wealthfront can even help you lower your taxes you pay as you invest. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets and you can get your first 5,000 managed for free by going to wealthfront.com slash locked on MLB. That's wealthfront.com slash locked on MLB to get your first $5,000 managed for free. They've been trusted with over $20 billion of assets. That is wealthfront.com slash locked on MLB. Go check it out today. Also brought to you in part by Bet Online. It's the time of year again as we're starting to look at football and postseason baseball. It is so much fun. This is kind of my favorite time of the year, and there are so many different things that you can wager on at Bet Online. You can get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at bet online head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus if you use the promo code locked on that's one word locked on be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo where you can make a bet on Thursday September 9th the season opener between Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys if you lose your wager will be refunded this offer is for new customers only, along with the 100% bonus. That's at Bet Online, where you use the promo code Locked On for both of those. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So, without further delay, here is the conversation with Josh Neighbors of Locked On Nationals. All right, it is a crossover edition of Locked On Nationals and Locked On Marlins, and uh, it's Arm Layton from Locked On Marlins, Josh Neighbors from Locked On Nationals. It's potentially my dog, Bowie, as well. He is creating havoc around the house arm. You heard him a little bit. Uh, he loves to get in the show. He loves to shake his collar and hear it ring on air. He's just, uh, he's really an attention uh, attention grabber. That's really what he cares about. Yeah, my dogs do the same, but I'm now not at home. So I'm able to get away from that. Instead, I've got the uh, sirens of New York and uh, the mm. ambulances. So it, it's it's a it's a give, right? You got to pick one or the other. I'll probably take the dog barks, honestly, because that yeah. dogs are cute. Uh, ambulances are just not great. But uh, I, no, I, I'm a big fan of, of the dogs, and it, it's annoying. They'll always find like the one time, like it's the best yeah. part of the of the interview or the discussion, and it's just boom barks and just breaks it all up. Yeah, it's also funny to you mention the New York thing. Like, you usually can tell which are your like. Oh, you know, if you listen to multiple pod, podcasts, like I do, you can tell which of the people that you listen to live in New York because usually you hear the ambulances or people making a ruckus. So I think it's actually pretty funny because you can tell 
when the podcast host is in a, a New York City, which is fine. And there's nothing you can do about it. Like there's, no. there's literally nothing. Where am I going to go? Like where am I going right. to record? Right. Hey, what am I going to tell them? Use another street. I'm going to block the street. Right. Like, right. Right. I have no right. winning. So it's just like as long as the listeners don't hate it uh, and as long as it's not too bad, like it is what it is. Uh, luckily for us, so the Nationals and the Marlins are not good. Uh, yep. This is something that's that's pretty well known. That, that's not a hot take there. But the cool thing about baseball sometimes is that we do get some games like we had last night, right, where we have a pitching matchup between Josiah Gray for the Nationals, who is uh, newer-ish, not as you know new, but not as new as – what is it? Is Edward Cabrera is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, Edward Cabrera. Yeah, it's just Edward, like normal yeah. Edward is okay. Um, so yeah, and Edward Cabrera, and it was great because you know not like the whole baseball world was watching. Obviously, we had Dodgers and Padres last night. But if you're an East Coaster and you're like, hmm, let me just watch something interesting last night. This was probably you know you're in your hardcore baseball fan. This is probably what you wanted to tune into. Two guys like you and I talked about who might be around this division for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I know in the prospect realm, you know, being the the prospect guy mm-hmm. as well, you know, this was something that a lot of people were excited about because these are two arms that uh, have been just consistently good in the minor leagues, uh, just continue to show a lot of positive things. Josiah, even now with some uh, some taste of the big leagues, has looked really good. And uh, to be able to see both those guys kind of against each other where – Every inning on each side, the top or the bottom of the inning, you're seeing a young, exciting starting pitcher. I thought that was pretty darn cool. And and Josiah Gray, my goodness, I I had watched him uh, in spurts, but I hadn't really watched a whole start. And this guy's going to be really good, man. Like I I know that the trade is difficult, and like with that all aside. Josiah Gray is going to be a fixture in this rotation for a long time. I, I don't know if he's an ace. I think he could be like a number two, number three type, but. So valuable, and who knows? He could turn into that ace. What, what really amazed me yesterday was how good his curveball was. Mm-hmm. He got 13 whiffs on that curve, and his command is just spectacular. I think Josiah Gray is going to be a really, really good pitcher for a long time, and uh, he's getting better before our eyes. He was a guy that didn't pitch until his junior year of college. So I, this, this is somebody that's still learning and still getting experience, and I think we're seeing that. Yeah, he's somebody that I think the learning thing is huge. Like he is somebody who clearly is making adjustments on the fly, which is what you want to see, right? You want to see a guy who's thinking, not necessarily thinking while he's out there, but being a smart pitcher, right? Learning while he's out there. And he does a whole lot of that. And yeah, I think when you when you consider the trade, right, and you consider that's Max Scherzer, and I know they got two other guys behind in the background, right, uh, you know, to, to, to compliment Josiah and, and K. Bear Ruiz, but, like, I think if you trade Trey Turner, you could got those two guys for Trey. I think he's that good of a player. I think, you know, to me, he's I, – I, this is – it's really funny. I'm not sure if you saw this, but a while ago, Javi Reyes and I did the podcast, and he laughed when I made the suggestion that somehow that Trey Turner was as good as Fernando Tatis. And I, I think now we're seeing – you know, I like, I stick by what I said. I really do think that they're – you know, depending on what your team needs, actually, like, there is an argument that some teams could use a guy like Trey and some teams could use a team like Fernando. And I think – um, you know, I actually thought if, if those two swap places earlier in the year, they could have actually been more useful on the, on the respective other teams they were going to. But that aside, like the Nationals 
got two players they think are be really good. And I think the fact that we can see Josiah Gray now, that Nationals fans can see Josiah Gray now is really important because you feel like you're actually going to get some return, right? Sometimes, and you know this better than anybody else, teams get prospects and they don't really feel like they're getting, you know, they don't know what they're getting, right? They, they, they don't understand it and they, and they don't feel like, they just feel like they've been robbed of a player or two. This is great because you can actually see some of the fruits of the deal. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it shows that the Nationals are are in a position here where, yes, they're rebuilding, but it's almost like a pseudo rebuild, right? They're targeting right. prospects who are uh, close to big league ready or big league ready. The Cubs, for example, that's a team that's fully rebuilding, right? They trade you Darvish and they get a bunch of 18 year olds. Those 18 year olds mm-hmm. have upside, but that that's indicative of what their what their motive is here. Now, the Marlins, where the Marlins are at, you know, they want to win in the next year or two or at least be competitive. Any trade that they made this at this deadline and any trade that they make in the offseason is not going to be for the 18-year-old prospect. It's going to be for either the close to big league ready prospect or a young big leaguer already. I think the Nationals, the fact that they targeted Ruiz and they targeted uh, Josiah Gray shows me that I think they're going to be busy this offseason. And I'm not saying they're going to build a contender, but I think they're going to build a team that's going to be competitive. They're not going to just mail it in this coming season. Ruiz will be the starting catcher next year. I think he'll get called up at some point down the stretch here to get a little bit more of a taste. And, you know, he's been really good this year. I do agree with one thing, and I don't like to harp on the trades because, you know, there's a lot of things. We're not in the war room. We're not in the discussions. But I I do feel like what you said is, is, is fairly accurate. If you traded just Trey Turner... I think it's pretty justifiable. Maybe the Dodgers weren't willing to do it, but I would give up Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz for Trey Turner. I mean, Trey Turner is as elite as it gets. And I I maybe think that the Dodgers value Josiah and Kiebert on a different level, and maybe the Nationals do too. And that's why they were like, we're not going to get this kind of quality, close to big league ready prospect. Let's just package these two together and get the best two guys that can help us, you know, expedite this. I get that. Because I'm sure some of the other offers were more lower level guys. So I think the Nationals were a little bit stuck. Uh, but I, I was surprised at the strategy, I guess, to package Scherzer and Turner. But if that's what it gets you in terms of getting two guys that can help your big league team like next year right away and potentially be, you know, solid, solid, solid fringe all stars in their own respect, it, it can all work out. And then we'll see how the complementary pieces end up as well. Yeah. And. It's. I guess that's the problem because you see with the Dodgers, like they have a surplus of catchers, right? And as good as K. Ruiz is, I mean, you know, Will Smith, Will Smith is like tremendous, yeah. right? The Nationals would be really pleased if K. Ruiz ended up anything like Will Smith, yeah, absolutely. And so he's like, and that that is the beauty of the Dodgers, right? Uh, not only are they a team that's willing to spend money, but it's a team that has done a phenomenal job building up the farm system too, to where they have expendable pieces. You know, such as a Josiah Gray. And I'm not saying he's fully expendable. It's a guy I think that, you know, you could argue as they're kind of dealing with the end of the season and some injuries and whatnot, they'd like to have a guy like that, right? And, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. But but you still, got Scherzer like, instead. <laughs> you, know, you got Max Scherzer now take his place. So, and, and that's, and I, I want to kind of, it's a weird point there, but K Bear does not remind me of Max in the sense of, um, the strikeout numbers. It's just he, he hits, he flutters with that occasionally, but the attacking the zone is what he reminds me of Max. And the fact that last night, that first run the Marlins got was the first time, uh, first run that Ruiz had given up as a national. Are that was not a solo that? home run, right? So 
it was it was not via a solo home run. That was the first time that they had, they had not given up a, a he had given up a run that was not a solo home run. So struggles with the home run ball. He's a fly ball pitcher. Can show that excellent strikeout ability sometimes. Um, and you know his fastball is kind of like Max's. It's, it's not ninety eight ninety nine, right? But he likes to pound the zone with it. That, that's what he likes to use. And then he's got that Max had the slider. It looks like Josiah is going to have the curveball. Maybe a slider comes along at some point, point in time. But it looks like that curveball is going to be kind of the the nail in the coffin, uh, so to speak. Yeah, well, what I like about Gray is you mentioned the fastball, and, and that's a good point because everything I've watched on him as a prospect, I've been really high on Gray for a while. Like even before this trade, that's somebody that uh, I had well inside of the top 50, probably closer to the top 30 prospects uh, even coming into this year. And it's because the fastball has so much life to it, you know, like with the spin rate revolution and all that stuff. And and some of it's a little overdone, but with him, he gets a lot of, of just life on that fastball in terms of not having a lot of vertical movement, meaning that it stays on plane. It looks like it's rising. So 93, 94 from him looks like 97, 98. And that's why I think it's, it's fair to say that that fastball could play up and be plus. The problem with that though is if you leave it up and a guy's and a guy catches up to it, you know, they're going to they're going to hit it out sometimes. And that's that's where he's going to have to really work on hitting his spots. And that's the thing with the major leagues is you won't get away with it as much. One bad pitch and that's it. The same thing happened to Edward Cabrera. He made one bad right. pitch, one bad pitch in the start. And, and that was really it. But he still had a great line, six and a third, only gave up the three runs, but it was one bad pitch. Uh, what I liked about Edward, too, is, is that. In that start, he, he didn't rack up the strikeouts like I thought he may, but what I saw him do, and you mentioned the Josiah Gray curveball that he really established. The slider is a good pitch, too, that he locates well um, to his glove side. He's still working on locating it more on the other side of the plate. For Edward, his changeup is elite. I mean, it's it was one of the best changeups in the minor leagues. And if you notice through that first inning and even through the – almost the first time through the order, he barely showed the changeup. He was going breaking ball, slider, 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 and fastball heavy too. To me, that's a really good sign because if you can get through the lineup one time without showing your best pitch, now the second time through the lineup, they're going to get a different look at you and they're not going to get comfortable. Third time through the lineup, they're like, okay, which am I seeing now? What am I getting? That's what made Felix Hernandez so special. If you look at King Felix, big changeup guy, you look at his perfect games, First time through the lineup, I, I rewatch him. First time through the lineup, he's going with one pitch sequence. Second time through the lineup, he's going with a different pitch sequence. Third time, he's doing that. Not every pitcher has that kind of ability. I think Josiah Gray has a chance to be able to do that. And I think Edward Cabrera has a chance to be able to do that. And I think that's why both of them are going to be really special. Even if they give up the long ball or not, they're going to be going deep into starts. And as we know, that's a rarity in today's game. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great point. Because how many guys that we talk about, especially now – with really the emphasis on you know spin rate and, and velocity, a lot of these guys, the second, third time of the lineup, especially that third time, that's where they get crushed. That's why guys don't go in deep. You know, people talk about oh Bob Gibson used to throw. You know, like you know it was it's ridiculous. But I think a couple of things. Number one, hitters are smarter than they used to be, and number two, pitchers are not as 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 adept at throwing. You know. A variety of pitches that well and so like you talked about it does take that craftsmanship to get through lineups that second and third time and I think for Josiah it's going to be more about 
fastball location for him the second and third time through. I, I think Edwards going to be a guy watching him last night that might actually be able to use the pitch selection as opposed to having to use pinpoint accuracy, which I think is to his betterment because I think that's something that it, it leaves a little bit more room for error, right? If, if you if you can use a variety of pitches as opposed to having to locate one or two in the exact same or in different spots. No, absolutely. But and the thing with that though is that Josiah has the ability to beat to spot yes. up, like spot up, and it's because he was a shortstop in high school, so his or high school and college, and so his athleticism. It allows him to repeat his mechanics. You watch him, right? Like he's just so clean and so smooth. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is really hard to to do. I don't think people realize how hard it is to just be so repetitive with your mechanics. And oftentimes it's the guys that are converted, right? Jacob DeGrom converted from shortstop. You look at some of the other players that were converted from, you know, shortstop or wherever it was to pitch. They tend to really be good at repeating their mechanics and being good athletes. And I think Josiah is going to be the same thing. With Edward, what's good about him is that he also throws 98, 99. Yeah. So, like, you know, even yeah. if he misses his spot, there's always the chance that he's going to just blow it by you. And, and that's something that he can fall back on a little bit. Like you said, he definitely has the stuff to fall back on even more so than, you know, people compare right. Sixto and Edward. And yeah, Sixto throws 101 sometimes. And when he's healthy, he throws really hard. But Edward has better stuff. And even Sixto, like, the strikeout numbers aren't there when he's not locating. He's in trouble. I mean, he'll get knocked around. So I think the difference here is that, like you said, Edward has multiple out pitches that can really help him uh, get away with a little bit more. Whereas some of these other guys, you know, it's hard in today's game, especially with the scouting reports you get. Guys are going to know what your two best pitches are, when you're going to go to them, how often you're going to go to them. So if you don't have a comfortable third pitch, and I say it all the time, I'm like, this prospect needs a third pitch or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. see how it develops. It's the hardest thing to do right now. And if you don't have a viable third pitch, your margin for error is pretty small. I think both these guys will have viable third pitches. They already almost do. Yeah. And last night was, you know, I I thought for Edward uh, watching, you know, I I just I think about the Marlins, the position that they're in and the number of young pitchers that they have. It feels inevitable to me and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they're going to have to pack the luxury that they're going to have is they're going to be able to package one or two of these guys and go and get somebody because, look, I think it's pretty clear they don't want to spend a lot of money. That's kind of they don't want to spend like, you know, get up there. Um but I think with this this glut of prospects, especially pitching prospects, they can package a couple of these guys, one or two of them together, and go and get somebody who is young and under team control, who's an established star in the league. I, I think that might be, and I, okay, I'm not sure Edwards that guy, but like I think you know some of the names that Marlins fans know, like that's that is part of the deal too. And I know you you know you get attached to these prospects if you watch them, and you really just don't want to let them go. But I think that's the beauty of this is that they're going to have a chance to – if they want to go get a star and bring some a star to Miami, they've got the blue chippers to go and do it. And I, I think that's part of this too that, you know, as great as it is to see these guys with, you know, with pitching with M's on their hats, they might turn into something else. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the, the prospect hugging a little bit and, and all of that. It was hard for me earlier in the year when I would try to tell Marlins fans like, hey, maybe they should look into making this deal. Maybe they should look into making this deal. And they're like, no, we're not trading him. No, we're not trading him. But they've watched this offense be so putrid that I think Marlins fans in, in general, and I can 
totally understand Marlins fans wanting to hold on to pitching prospects because the Marlins have not had pitching ever. It, it's, a, it's a crazy turnaround where the Marlins had hitting and no pitching for years and years and years, and now they have pitching and no hitting. It, it's amazing how the new ownership found a way to totally flip the script and still be stuck. But I would rather have the latter, right? I would rather have a surplus of arms because pitching is always king, right? And what you bring up here, I think, is a really good point. The Marlins had been kicking the tires on Max Meyer for Brandon Marsh um, at, at the deadline. And Brandon Marsh, the outfielder, obviously, for for the L.A. Angels. And Max Meyer was just the third overall pick for the Fish and has been spectacular this season. That said, I was one of the few that said I would have done that deal. It was actually the Angels that pulled out. And – Brandon Marsh was off to a slow start. Over his last 15 games, Brandon Marsh is slashing 400, 441, 582. This guy's going to be a really good ball player. And if that was the trade, Max Meyer for Brandon Marsh straight up, I would do it. I know Marlins fans feel differently, but whoever it is, let's say you trade from anyone else to your surplus. The crazy thing is with the Marlins right now is they killed the draft in 2020. Their, their prospects right now, Max Meyer is like leading the minors in ERA of qualified pitchers. Jake Eater is like right there with him, and he was their fourth round pick. He's got like a one, nine, or two ERA in, in double A. Then Kyle Nicholas got called up to double A as well. He was their second round pick. He has a point. Five ERA in his first five starts in Double A and throws ninety six, and they have these other really young pitching prospects. You look at the big leagues; the rotation is full. So, uh, and they went and got Jesus Lizardo, and he's struggling big time too. But that's another arm in the fold. I'd be trading away from those prospects and not even blinking. Who the targets may be, I don't know. I, Brian Reynolds was someone they they reached out on, and I know the the answer from the Pirates was three big name players, whatever the hell that means. Uh, but I, what's crazy is Brian Reynolds is a superstar at this point, which is weird to say. I don't know what some outfield targets would look like. Um, that's something I got to start digging into. I've talked about some guys already, but I think you're 100% on point here. They have to, have to trade from that surplus of pitching. I mean, you have the currency. You don't want to spend actual currency, so spend your pitching currency. I do think they'll spend a little bit of money this offseason, too, with the new TV deal, but uh, that's not something I'll hold my breath on with this org. Right, and we got no idea what's going to happen with the lockout. You know, if there is a lockout, right? What I think that could affect the the free agency as well uh, as you know the idea that hey, we might be losing some revenue in 2022 if we lose games. Which, if you pile that on the fact that we lost some games 2020, could it, I oftentimes think the excuses for not spending money are bad, but it could it could coalesce and do multiple excuses. Yeah, I think that's a justifiable one. To I, I thought even the. Uh, the idea that the 2020 season affected revenues, I think it did. If you're the Dodgers, I don't think it affects you. If you're the Marlins, I think 2020 did affect you. And I can understand the Marlins being stuck. I mean, the Orioles, I always bring this up. The Orioles were asking Trey Mancini and other players are making three, $4 million to defer their contracts. So like they're not doing that unless they're in trouble, right? Like you're not doing that just because you want to save a few bucks. So I, I know that some teams were really in trouble. Marlins got a new TV deal. They got naming rights to the stadium. They've cleared up money. They traded nine million off the books with Corey Dickerson, and you know, he, or his contracts up at the end of this year, anyways. They they cleared up a lot. So I look at it. If they don't spend fifteen twenty million at least uh, into next year's payroll, I think it would be disappointing. On top of that, you can go make some moves. 
this is a team that that could be decent if they do it right. But that's a big F. That's a really big F with this team right now, especially with the way they've – you talk about the pitching. They've developed pitching so well. They have been terrible with the hitting. It's just been mm. swing and a miss, like literally swing and a miss with all of their problems. Nice metaphor. Love that. Good metaphor. Right. They love, they love <laughs> the K-rate guys. They think that they can like change them or something. I, I don't know. They love the guys that are toolsy with – low contact ability and I think they're going to soon change that tune and I think that's why they were targeting Brandon Marsh who is the freaking opposite of that which I love like you need to go get guys that can just hit like forget Mm -hmm. the power tool forget the running like you can't steal first you can't hit a home run without making contact like let's get guys that can just hit and I think that's what they're at now I mean they're not really willing to roll the dice like they did in the Yelich trade uh, which you know just didn't pan out yeah, this is what's interesting about the National East is that as a division, it feels very – you know, before you and I talked about it before the season, I think it was good that a young Marlins team would take their lumps, but this division feels a lot more in reach than it did before, right? This, this, And that's surprising, and that could change. Um, I think, you know – we could be we could be sitting having that uh, having this conversation we're having right now at the beginning of next year and saying, "Wow, this division felt so much more attainable last year, and it could change next year because all these teams that wanted to win ended up with really disappointing seasons." Right? The Mets could say, "We're angry, we're pissed that did not go well," and completely retool that team. The Phillies could say, wow, we we had – I mean, the Phillies' run was short and, and lovely, right? It was a weekend. They had a weekend where they swept the Mets and it was like Philadelphia. And then the Braves basically were like, hey, we, we got our shit together. We'll take the division. Thank you. Yeah. And that, it's funny because we're, we're full circle. I thought the Braves – I thought – I'm not sure if I knew this was coming the entire time, but – it's weird to see the Braves lose Mike Soroka. They lose Ronald Acuna Jr. But it's like, you know what? We've actually built such a good team that it does not matter. And we've – we've talk about young pitching. I mean, you 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 know, as good as the Marlins are, they might have more electric guys. But the Braves have so many young quality guys. And this I did not know who Kyle Muller was. He showed up this year and has, has been strong for them. Hoskari Noah showed up, has been strong for them. You add that to an already young core of Ian Anderson, Max Freed, uh, and you know when Mike Soroka, whoever he's able to actually eventually come back, they're in great shape. So maybe we think, hey, right now this division seems more gettable, but next year it's, it's you know it's it's actually that difficult that we thought it was going to be to start this season. Yeah, and they add the veteran on top of that, Charlie Morton, who's gutsy, right? They were one game away from the World Series, and they go get the the Game 7 king in Charlie Morton. Like, th- this is a good team. I'll be honest, though, like fully honest. When Acuna went down, and I was watching it live, I, oh, I just got like a pit in my stomach. Like, that was the worst thing I'd ever seen because – Acuna and the Marlins have have a little bit of beef there, and and it's definitely mm-hmm. it gets heated, right? But when you see somebody like that go down, man, I mean, he's so special. And I mean, any player, it could be it could be the worst guy on the bench, and that's horrible. But when it's somebody like that who's just so important in the game, I just figured that would just take the wind out of their sails, which there was hardly any, anyways. Uh, so at that point, I'm thinking, okay, they're dead in the water, like dead in the water, and. All of a sudden, they just turn it around. It's it's kind of wild that 
I would love to see their numbers after Ronald Acuna got hurt, right? Like they really turned it up a notch. Not that long after that, Freeman caught on fire. Enoa came back from that fight he lost with the uh, dugout bench. Uh, you had a few other players start to heat up. Austin Riley looks like not not an all star, like like a borderline MVP candidate. And then you have Aussie uh, Albies legitimately playing like like a top. 10 player in the NL right now. Like it is unbelievable what we're seeing over there. And then they went and made some acquisitions, nothing crazy, but Duvall, Soler, Peterson, those are all guys that can hit for a little bit of power. That being said, what's happening right now in Atlanta is definitely sustainable, but they're the only team that I look at and I'm like, okay, they're going to be up there when it comes to just having to play this division day in and day out. Whatever it is about the Mets, they just don't scare me. Uh, Even if they make some big moves this offseason, I've just realized that the Mets, I think, are just never going to be able to get out of their own way. The Nationals, they're going to make moves. They're going to be better. But even if they're, like, competitive, they're not not a team that's going to make you say, hey, maybe we should shift our timeline here. The Phillies, again, another team that just lives in the purgatory. So if I'm the Marlins or I'm the Nationals here, like, to look at the Marlins side, the Marlins were terrible this year. If I'm the Nationals, I'm not worried about them either. Both those teams, the Marlins and the Nationals, where they're at right now, they're a little bit in an in-between phase of a rebuild, whatever it may be. I'm going for it. Like, I'm going for it and seeing what happens. And what that means for the Nationals might be different from what that means for the Marlins. And I'm not saying go for the World Series, but I'm saying try and win this year, see if you can sneak into the wild card, because I think it's feasible for either of those teams to do it. Look at the Mariners this year. If the Mariners can do that in the AL, tell me that the Marlins and the Nationals can't tool up and make it happen. End of the day, Nationals have one of the best players in baseball still in Juan Soto and some good young players and decent complimentary pieces around him with some other prospects that could help. Marlins, we know what they have. I, I really think that you got to go for it, see how it goes and and go from there. Uh, and I think both of them are going to make some moves to try to win at this present moment. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all goes this offseason for sure. Yeah, Aram, uh, it, it is. It is a fascinating division because one of the, it just did not pan out the way we thought it would. Uh, where can people find you and not your work? Not at you all. You can find me at Aram Layton 8 on Twitter and, of course, at JustBaseball.com where all my written stuff will be over there. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say on the NL East is I went to the Mets game the other day. I've never seen one. I got there. It felt like it felt like a funeral before the game even started Two, (laughs) I've never seen such a collection of bad approaches in my entire life. Like Javi Baez is one thing. I mean, did you see that pitch he swung at that was like a foot? Yeah. Yeah. But his approach was terrible. Conforto was expanding the zone and hitters counts like everybody sucks except for Pete Alonso. It's unbelievable. Like their approach, which is ironic. Very ironic. So I, I had to throw that in there. It was hilarious. 8-0 Giants. Mets fans were like just losing their minds. And I they, they've mailed it in. They fully have mailed it in. And they traded Pete Crow Armstrong for Javi Baez. Just hilarious to me. The Mets won't be able to get out of their own way. I'm not worried about them. No matter what Steve Cohen does, tweets about, or says in the clubhouse, not worried about them. Uh, it, it's been really interesting to watch. And uh yeah, to answer that, though, you can find me at Nate at JustBaseball.com, and, of course, Lockdown Marlins, Lockdown MLB Prospects, and all that good stuff. Awesome, man. Always appreciate your time. Always, man. Always enjoy it.